0: Speaking Basketball Podcast. My name is Ben. Welcome back to, I guess, technically the final episode of the 2022 season. The finals are over. The Warriors with their fourth title in eight years. And just a quick programming note, since I mentioned the end of the season, we will have off-season content both on the YouTube channel and on this podcast. We're not really sure yet what the content's going to entirely be, and how frequent it'll be. What we do know is it won't be the breakneck game-to-game pace we've had in the finals. So we're kind of ready to wind down and get into off-season mode. But, but, Cody, before we do that, of course, we have some business to take care of, which is wrapping Game 6, wrapping this series, wrapping the 75th anniversary season how are you doing? And what 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 do you want to talk about today? What are what are we going to think about when it comes to basketball on this episode?
1: Well, since the show is thinking basketball, I'm definitely going to be thinking about basketball today. But that, that's a lot. You just threw a lot out there. Like the way you described that, that's like a three hour mega episode. If we're going to do any of those, but I feel relaxed. I feel good. I feel a lot less. Um, I don't know. We need to really intensely break down games before the next one comes out. So I'm in a good place right now, Ben. Y-
0: yeah. That's how I feel. This, the The tension of the season has been relieved. Um, I've been relaxing and lounging and sleeping on the couch and things like that. Stuff that you do when there isn't a finals game to cover repeatedly. So uh, game six, I don't know how much time we're going to spend on game six because the one thing I will say about it is the Celtics did try some different things. They came out, they were posting Al Horford against Clay Thompson right away. Then they wanted to post Steph Curry and attack him a little bit more when the matchup was there versus trying to get two or three switches and switch hunt him. You didn't see that quite as much. So they they did try different things in this game, but it definitely felt like one of those games where you've reached the equilibrium in the series. Everyone kind of understands their strengths, their advantages. Golden State was totally locked in the whole way executed and played exactly how they played Kerr had the lineups he wanted with Gary Payton getting successful defensive minutes obviously the combinations of like Draymond Green and Andrew Wiggins and um, GP2 and just these guys what they provided defensively I thought really turned the series about halfway through and so maybe maybe when it comes to this series I want to go to a place where I went to immediately in the final video of the series which is Draymond Green had at times a very rough offensive series and there was even a game or two especially game three where he didn't have a great defensive game and so you have someone out there who in essence is struggling or hurting your team for a brief part of the series but Cody in the four wins and once he switched on to Jalen Brown in game two I mean Golden State went four and one to finish the series their scoring numbers were really really good against the Celtics Um, what he was able to do defensively against Tatum and Brown, and I'm sure you'll have some thoughts on Tatum Tatum and Brown that we can discuss in this series. Uh, I thought it changed the entire series. And combined with the way Golden State plays defense, Steve Kerr's coaching, and guys like Wiggins, GP2, Clay Thompson, even Steph Curry, the ability to keep the ball in front of them, keep the Celtics out of the paint, And then when the Celtics did come in the paint, it felt like it was more on Golden State's terms. Like, oh, I'm going to funnel you into Draymond Green. Or we know there's help on the baseline, and our three guys are sitting on the weak side because this is what we practice. We practice these hybrid zone concepts, and we're ready for you. So I thought that was a huge turning point in the series, and I thought um, Draymond's series was, you know, we can nitpick it. It it, it wasn't dominant and, and amazing from start to finish but it was such an important part of what happened in this series and uh, you know that was that was kind of my first takeaway from from game 6 looking back.
1: Yeah, I want to get back to this equilibrium point at some point too cuz there's a couple things I want to bring up with that but Draymond you you talked about it a couple times on the on the game 6 video but he I always like to say this, like offensive players, the best passers, the best creators manipulate defenses. They make the defense do what they want to do so they can set them up. Draymond does the same thing on defense. That's what makes him so brilliant. You have that the one play where he's guarding Tatum in in isolation in the corner and Tatum drives on him. And I think I think it's a Looney that switches off on him in the last second. And in that moment, Draymond knows Tatum's going to try the dump off pass and Draymond helps off to the paint and gets the steal. Like just play after play of things like that, where it's like, I know what this player's going to do if I do this one thing and I'm going to be a step ahead of you and make it to our advantage. And I think the Warriors did a great job of that in general of just I don't know about you. It felt like they were like attacking Boston dribble more than ever. Just attacking, especially him and Gary Payton. Yes, and
0: and we talked a little bit about the ball handling and someone like Gary Payton able to influence, his ability to influence that and even Draymond. But I think based on the turnover piece, and of course the turnovers were a huge part of this series. Uh, By the way, I don't understand why people talk about turnovers like they're a thing that just is happenstance. Like, Like the Warriors' defense... Um, makes a lot of the turnovers happen. They're forced turnovers. And they're forced turnovers in the sense that if you're Tatum or Brown or Marcus Smart or whomever, if you don't have the same handle as Steph Curry, then you're more likely to turn it over. If you don't have the passing vision of LeBron James, then when you try to look for cracks in the defense or when you're forced to go to another – you know, outlet to punish the defense, you're more likely to commit turnovers. So go back to the play you just mentioned where Draymond is in the corner on Tatum. Tatum drives to the baseline. And then essentially what's happening is Draymond is switching, whether you want to think of this as like a veer switch. He's switching off. It's similar to the peel switch we've talked about. And he's saying, I'm funneling you into help. I know the help is going to be there. And then as that help engages with the ball, I peel off, and I take the other man, and I play, in this case, the pass, the lay-down pass. Golden State's entire defense is built around these principles. They had a couple beautiful peel switches that I couldn't get into the Game 6 video, and frankly, they had a couple in each game that really stood out as defensive possessions where it almost feels like the Celtics should have an advantage that's created because a second defender comes into the play, but they're so coordinated in how they rotate and switch behind the ball that they're actually a step ahead of you. I like the way you phrase that, where it's like it feels like they're attacking the Celtics. And I think there's a difference in what we saw early at the very beginning of the series or in the two Celtics wins where they beat you at the point of attack and then they touch the paint and they kick it, and they move it, or they lob it to Rob Williams, and now they're playing on the Celtics' term, and the Warriors are scrambling. In the wins, especially these last three wins and in Game 6, their point of attack defense was so good that you basically had very few of those instances, and instead you're replacing them with the ones you pointed out, Cody, which is like, Draymond's in isolation, he knows he has help baseline, he pushes the guy baseline, which in and of itself is a defender, then Looney's there to help, and then because he knows all this... There's never an advantage because Draymond's like, well, when I get to when I get to Looney, I'm just going to take Looney's man. And the backside's ready for everything. And and I just thought this was the difference in the series. And and frankly, the reason why the Celtics uh, offensive rating for the last few games was
1: probably so diminished. Not only that, but this idea that, like, even if you're not necessarily guarding your guy you can still take advantage of poor spacing. So, like, there's a play. It's it's the double double team that Draymond gets on Tatum in the post. I think Smart throws the entry past him. Smart cuts across the paint. And instead of chasing Smart, because Draymond's on Smart at this point, he's like... This is going to be a tough enough pass if Tatum's going to turn and throw it cross-court here. There's enough action going on here. There's not really anything going on strong side here. So instead, what he does is he just immediately goes and attacks Tatum. And Tatum's like, oh, a double. I'm going to try and kick it out. But Dr- Draymond is so aggressive with that that he gets that steal.
0: He, he, that's the one where he kind
1: of attacks the ball right away, right? Yeah, he's got both hands like high, yep. high up on that one. And so that, that's a solid steal. But then, you know, I want to transition and talk to Gary Payton talk about Gary Payton the a second because it felt like there were so many plays especially against Brown were like I don't remember if this was in a podcast in a video if we were just chatting with it but but we talked about the fact that that the Warriors are trying to force especially the Jays going left like especially Brown dribbling going left but Jalen Brown if Gary Payton ends up getting him going to his right like Gary Payton's a left-handed player, so he's able to get right into his gauntlet there to get the steal, and I felt that was a couple things, like like they had the spins down, like Brown when he would spin, or Tatum when he would spin, the second player would come and steal it and it, was, it was just a masterful defensive Ooh. play, a game, across the board from them.
0: Yeah, and the last point I think about that is Steph Curry who is kind of supposed to be the weak point of the defense as the shortest defender, and traditionally the weakest defender out there when you're out there with like you know, Andre Iguodala back in the old days, and Draymond Green, And instead, what happened, you could see it even in game six, the Celtics were like, we're not going to work for a ton of switch hunting things and run the shot clock down. So we might attack you in the post, as we said, Um, you know, we might do stuff like that but the rest of the time the warriors are content to switch curry into these actions or then mix it up a little bit maybe a jump switch where like all of a sudden boom now he's it looks like a trap but it's a switch or maybe they'll hedge and recover the ability to mix those things up and then be okay with curry being switched onto those guys and just realizing as the series went went on like the way our defense is set up the other four players on the court especially when Draymond Green's on the court you guys can try to attack Steph Curry half the time. We're fine with that. Like we'll switch it and play straight up and you're not going to be able to bully him. You're going to have to kind of win organically even when
1: you get that matchup. And with this, I actually want to go over and talk about Boston for a second. I want to bring this back to your equilibrium comment. Because it's this idea that like when you have enough adjustments, like at some point you have like as many adjustments as you're going to get. And I felt like, especially in that fourth quarter, maybe it was happening later third, but mostly in the fourth, Imei was just throwing everything at the wall at that point. It was like, all right, we're going to switch everything. Uh, there were two plays. I think one of them, Horford's on an island against Curry. Uh, Rob's on, a, on an island against Curry. And there's no action, and they just throw up a double. Like, they're literally doing anything that they can to try and change it up, and, and it's weird because, like, it's like it's like watching Neo at the end of the first Matrix when, like, you know, you've seen him losing to the agents throughout the entire movie, but at the end Spoil- here... Spoilers, Cody. Spoilers. I'm sorry, if you haven't seen the first Matrix movie, pause and go watch it. It's, pause anyway and go watch it. you'll just You'll just be better for it. But at the end of the movie, he's just like slow motion, one-handed, taking out the agents. And you're like, wow, that really really looks simple. And I felt the same way with Curry. Like, anything may threw at him, like, Curry was just, like, slow motion, like, alright, there's a double. I'll take advantage of the four-on-three with my teammates. Oh, you're gonna drop against Draymond? We'll run a DHO with him. We're gonna run a dribble hand off until I like, get a pull-up three. And I just, I wanted to ask you, Ben, was there some kind of adjustment you would have liked to see the Celtics try against the Warriors at some point in- didn't or do you think they really exhausted what they had in their in their bag so to speak to try and stop the Warriors Ooh,
0: I don't that's a tough one I think the only thing in retrospect was maybe trying some kind of steadier diet of of two to the ball and pick and roll and then just seeing how your your defense can recover but honestly I'm not sure I'm not sure that would have lasted that long. I'm not sure that would have been wise. And I think it comes back to the point I made in the video that we've discussed on this show. uh, And you've mentioned many times about Steph Curry's improved, not just his handle, but the tightness of his handle along with the growth of his body and his strength and his balance, as I called it out in the video. Like, we've seen this through the entire playoff run. When he's put in a pocket and you try to pressure him, whether it's what we would consider like a hard hedge where the big man shows and then tries to recover or just an all-out trap or blitz where he's double teamed off the pick and roll. He is now so comfortable, despite only being like 6'2 or whatever, handling that pressure and keeping his dribble alive and making kind of... um Not always the perfect pass, but a pass that leads to a really big advantage. And that's the problem with sending two guys to Steph Curry outside the three-point line, 25, 30, 35 feet away, whatever. There's so much space out there that even if you just get the dump off to the short roll in a decent position... We saw Kavon Looney, I think, in the Mavs series make a couple beautiful short roll passes, right? Um, Andrew Wiggins coming downhill. We talked about that. He's either going to have an open three or come downhill and be able to you know, use that athleticism on his drives. And then, of course, um, Gary Payton and Draymond Green, those two guys as screeners, can short roll pass. Curry sometimes will make even better passes, but just the, the moment in the offensive possession where it's like, okay, we're going to send two to Curry and then recover. Yeah, you're playing four on three behind the play with with a team that's really good playing four on three, and that's a diff. That's a notable difference from four, five, six years ago, where even though it was still great Golden State offense, you could at least disrupt Curry in those moments. You could at least get turnovers or deflections in those moments, and he just seems so good and under control. Um, just to put a bow on it, I don't know in terms of like the technical tenth of a percentage points if it was his lowest actual turnover series ever but in my adjusted turnover percentage model series to series this matched the lowest turnover percentage of any series he's ever played uh and his turnover run throughout the playoffs was relatively low as well and and i think it's i think it's because of this very point
1: you ready showtime on may 3rd summer starts with the fall guy he's doing later let's drink a spicy margarita make some bad decisions yes Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said? See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie. Critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May third. Read it PG thirteen. Honestly, I didn't look it up. I don't. I don't think I know. How I would have looked it up, but I'm pretty sure when when Boston doubled or or blitzed Curry on a pick and roll or any action, I'm sure the Warriors had a 200 offensive rating. Like 200, yeah. It had, <laughs> if it was, I'm I'm almost being serious here, but if it's like lower than 200, I would be shocked because I feel like they got a three or a dunk or anything out of that. Uh, let's let's talk about Curry for a second because I think this is a really interesting conversation point because if you if you talk about like a full season, obviously Curry missed a lot of time. He would have been better in his prime if you consider, like, an entire season just because he's playing more of it. But when we're talking, like, a single series, if we were to, like, transplant, like, 2016, 2017 Curry versus what we saw from 2022 Curry, you talked about it. He's he's so much stronger than he was now. He's a better passer. He's got a better handle. Uh, The shot, I I don't necessarily know if it's worse now in, in a single series. How would you compare the two? I don't know if, if I want to use the better word here, but I think it's really hard for me to, to think about what I saw from Curry and be like, am I sure that Curry was actually better five years ago in the finals or any other series that I saw him? What do you think about that? How is he now in a series versus how he was in his prime?
0: I don't want to spend too much time on this because this will be ironed out in the top 10 video, which is... Coming at at some point soon, kind of looking back at the best players in this season and discussing this very thing. But I will say the thing that's bouncing around in my head, and I've had a lot of people ask, like, "Wait a second, is this Curry's peak?" Um, the big question for me is the shooting, because I think what you just saw in the finals is peak Steph Curry shooting. Basically, I think you saw Steph Curry flame throwing the way he was in 2016 or at stretches in 2021 or whatever it is and he's still very much in his prime. But the issue is as you get a little bit older, as you lose a step, as it gets a little bit harder to get your shot off, as you as you decide to do more on defense. I mean, you know, that burns up calories even for an amazing endurance athlete like Curry. And so if you told me uh Ben Curry's more like a 38 to 40% three-point shooter. We've already done podcast segments on trying to understand what that does to his value and how he still has all this value off ball, but you you just are going to lose a little bit from not making as many shots. Um, I would go, okay, I believe that. And I'll try to calibrate where that puts him as an offensive player. I think the advantages from the other things don't offset that loss of shooting still makes him a great offensive player one of the best offensive players in the game and if he never played from 2015 to 2021 still one of the best offensive peaks we've ever seen but if you were to say to me Ben no 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 it was more like a slump this season. There was a lot going on. They were reintegrating Clay, and he was getting used to all this defensive stuff. And, um, you know, they, he tried to break, the, you know, breaking the three-point shot record earlier in the season, had this huge psychological... If you told me that and you're like, but wait for it, he's going to come back. He's going to shoot 43% on 12 threes a game next year. Then I do really think you have to think about, oh, my word, um, if he gets that shooting with these kind of subtle, small, I think it might've been his best passing season of his career, certainly his best passing season since like 2014, 15-ish, those days when he was a little bit more on ball, um, with the ball handling, with the decision-making, and just with the understanding, uh, he's added more even since then, you know, the sidestep step back three is something he used more now in the last couple seasons, just that mastery of like going through a playoff gauntlet and seeing different defenses that he's already seen and going okay i know how to beat that um i'll take the mid-range if you're going to give me that if you're going to play my three i'll get all the way to the basket if you're not careful i'm going to get my three off and if i'm making those threes at 44 oh, percent then we can have a discussion but that's that's kind of the space i'm thinking about it's like i'm not i'm not convinced but it is really interesting to observe there are some areas that are more subtle smoothing out the edges trimming the fat that we expect from players as they get older that I do think he's improved in. And then the shooting one is just a big variable for me at this point.
1: Now stop me if this is going to be something you want to talk about in that video more, but I'm thinking about, and I think playoff LeBron is the, like, normal thing that people talked about. Like, LeBron always upped his game in the playoffs, et cetera, et cetera. But this playoff specifically, I feel like there were a lot of players that were either up or down from what we expected. Curry was better than in the postseason than he was in the regular season. Jimmy Butler was better in the postseason. Trey Young was significantly worse in the postseason than the regular season. When you're trying to factor all this in to determine how good a player is, how do you, how do you take, like, a series or a playoff performance and factor that with a regular season especially if they miss some time. I'm so glad you asked that because it's been it's
0: been a long time since we've done a great debate podcast episode. Mm. And I don't know if we'll I don't know if we'll resurrect that. We may do some other historical stuff in the off season. We'll see. But one thing I always mention in the great debates Cody if you remember is never judge a player in his worst situation, never judge a player in his best situation. And that applies to these small samples in the playoffs. I think it applies again to the finals where um, on one hand, I give Curry as an offensive concept, a tremendous amount of credit for being able to kind of zig against the zagging Celtics defense to, to function orthogonally to the way the Celtics are set up. Um, I think it's a drinking game. When I say orthogonal on a podcast, someone has to <laughs> perpendicular to how the Celtics are running goes. The Warriors motion offense. Cause the Celtics are so good against more stationary spacing five out modern things. And they kind of run into golden state and they go, boy, we can't really play like that. Like we might want to start playing one big man. um, And we might want to switch to drop coverage because the thing is we saw Al Horford switch onto most other players in the first three rounds. And then you get to golden state and you're like, Oh, that's not going to work. So I give Curry as a concept abstractly credit for being able to do that to the Celtics defense on the flip side, I also have to balance out one of the things the Warriors clearly did for most of this series was they said, okay, Steph, let's see what you got. You're gonna have to, you're gonna have to beat us with your scoring. And he came out and he was just like, (laughs) he came out, he was like, "Um, are you guys sure you want to do this? Because uh, I am going to, I'm going to barbecue you like barbecue chicken. So the numbers in that sense are great against a defense of that quality. But Do I expect him to shoot 49% from three or whatever the final number was? It was mid-high 40s. I I don't, um, and so I think this applies to all players. It it applies to what we've talked about with Trey Young. It applies to who else did you mention? Um, I can't remember Jimmy Butler. My head, Jimmy Butler. Uh, was that a very good series or a very bad oh, series? Oh, very good Celt- series.
1: Very good series, I was saying. The Celtics series? Yeah. yeah. I, I, in general, Jimmy Butler seemed to be much better in the postseason than he was in the regular season.
0: Yeah, I think that's consistent with, yeah. with Butler for the last few years. So I think the point I'm making is I'm always trying to balance these things against the playoff evidence we have from the year before the playoff evidence from the year after that hasn't happened that I can go back and look at matchups in the regular season to like understand is this just noise was this a pattern we saw earlier because of the inherent skill in the individual player or the team and keep those things in mind and I think especially in the social media day and age we live in the tendency is to do the extreme opposite, right? Not just the opposite, but the extreme opposite and be like, oh, this one series I just saw where this guy was amazing proves that he is the best. And oh, this other series I just saw where this guy was, terrible. he stinks, he's garbage, he's terrible, he shouldn't even be in the NBA. It proves that he's terrible. And um, I, 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 I don't want to say I throw out the outliers, but it's a balancing act, right, where you're trying to understand what does this really good series mean against what, what does this really bad series mean? Kevin Durant is probably the best example of this for something like the top 10 video where you have last season's Milwaukee series in the second round as his second to last playoff series, and then this season's Celtics series as his last playoff series. And they're two totally different series in terms of opponents, the way he was guarded, the team outcome, the team context, and Durant's individual numbers. Two completely polar opposite series that happened consecutively back-to-back. And do I think there was a huge difference in Kevin Durant as the player in... When was that? Like July of 2021 and May of 2022? I don't. I don't see a lot of evidence that there was. And so how do you make sense of those two series? That's, that's
1: Does that answer it? It does. And I think just... Yeah. It shows all of the confounding variables that go into trying to evaluate how good a specific player is. Because, I mean, if you think about the Celtics run, like, they they ran into two superstars, right? I mean, at first, right? In the first two rounds, they run into Durant, they run into Giannis. And both of them were held, if I'm not mistaken, they were both negative efficiency scoring during the playoffs against the Celtics. And then they run against Jimmy Butler who has a great series against them, and then Steph Curry, who has a tremendous series against them. So then I think that also adds some weird variables where it's like, all right, we have these two other players in Butler and Curry who did really well against the Celtics' defense that's tremendous, and then we have these two other strong stars that, you know... Their team still did well. Like, we talked about how the Nets' offense was still incredible against the Celtics, but Kevin Durant's numbers itself were down in terms of scoring and efficiency. So I think that that even adds to this, where it's like, what what do we do with these extra things when we throw it all together?
0: Yeah, and, and I think uh, Tatum is another great example of this, right? Where there are times in the postseason that Tatum looks like he may be fully ascending to some kind of MVP-level tier as a player and then you get to the finals and you get just it's almost not fair when when I go back over the tape I'm like what are you supposed to Draymond Green is the second guy Andrew Wiggins Kavon Looney's on the back line then they're throwing Gary Payton at you oh like legitimately your weakest of those defenders that you're playing is Clay Thompson and oh all of a sudden by the time we finally got to the finals, Clay Thompson started to turn the corner as a defender and look more like the old Clay Thompson defensively, which, you know, I've done a video on him a couple of years ago. I don't think that's like this. Earth-shattering, all defensive Kawhi Leonard perimeter defender, but what Clay Thompson is, and what Clay Thompson started to look like in the second half of the finals, is a guy who's really, really good on ball against mid to big size wings, right? Like, or just point of attack. You know, they used to use him against point guards as well back in the back in the old days of the dynasty. Um, for that to be like your fifth, def- your fifth best defender that you see as Jason Tatum in that team system that's a lot to take in so what were the results his his overall playoff numbers were decent I think we can we can discuss them Um, but in the finals you get this series that just leaves a bad taste in everyone's mouth where his scoring numbers are way down I think his efficiency in the series relative to Golden State's um, regular season defense was like minus eight percent true shooting or something a lot of turnovers didn't he set the right Someone's saying like he set the record for yeah turnovers in a post. I don't know if that's even true actually because there was one stat I saw circulating about how he had like the most turnovers in the first sixty or fifty days of the playoffs or something. It was completely false. I don't know who put that hmm. stat up, but like immediately I saw it and the first I was like, wait a second, this is missing all these high turnover names. Allen Iverson, two thousand one, just was the first name I looked up and he had way more turnovers to start the postseason and by the way if you guys like turnovers check out George McGinnis um, back in the ABA just go to basketball reference and just go look up George McGinnis in the postseason and his turnovers I will leave that nugget there uh, Cody I said a lot you, you I'm sure you have
1: many many great things to say again unfortunately there's going to be a road not taken situation in this conversation so I'm going to I'm going to hope Steer us. I, I, yeah. I'm, I'm hoping that this one trail actually loops back to this other conversation, but I'm going to go this way for right now. So, Jason Tatum, it's really interesting because it's the it's the same sort of idea as as losing in the finals seems to hurt you more than losing earlier in a series, right? Because then you can look at the finals record and be like, "Oh, Jordan went six and zero in the finals. If you don't go hundred percent in the finals, you're you're a fraud." Whereas is this pure is this peer pressure though?
0: Is it is that just? Is that just more casual fans, more eyeballs, more people who are naturally not going to look at depth to analyze the game? Because how could they? I mean, you're watching football, you're watching baseball, you're watching other things, and then you see the finals and you're like, oh, God, that that Tatum guy was terrible. Those, I, I don't agree with that, by the way. But I'm saying, like, is do you think there's a component of that that's happening when guys are dinged for these final per, finals performances more, or do you think it's something else? Well, I think
1: I'm going to – answer that question with another question and that's do you
0: think how how dare you this is
1: what i do ben i I like being the one that asks the questions that's what i'm here to do i'm draymond green in this in this podcast i'm going to stand here with rob in the paint and wait for the dho to come right um but tatum Do you not think that people would have thought that Tatum had a much better playoffs if they were actually eliminated in Game 7 against Milwaukee as opposed to going forward and having this finals that he had against the Warriors? Because I think people would have looked back and been like, wow, Tatum, he really had a good playoffs. But now when we have these couple other series, especially this Warriors series, people are like, oh, Tatum. And they're probably mentally docking him a couple of spots with whatever ranking that they're doing. Do, Do you not think that that's what most people are actually doing right now? I completely agree with that. I completely
0: agree with that, and it goes back to what I said about Kevin Durant's back-to-back series or trying to balance series and kind of getting stuck with this shiny, most recent object. I, I mean, as an aside, I don't know if I ever remember a playoff run where people were more, like, definitive about things being proven after each game. Like... It, it was unbelievable to experience. Like every time a team won a game, that was it. They were never going to lose a game again. The Celtics won Game One of the finals; they were the champs. And then the Warriors won Game Two, and they were the champs. And then the Celtics won Game Three, and they were the champs. It was like it became impossible for people to imagine things in their head. That's what it felt like. It was like I just watched a team lose. Therefore, Cody, I don't know how to, I don't know how that team could ever win again. Um, that was that was an aside. I don't know if you feel that way, but. I feel like that applies to what you're talking about with the players, right? Where if Tatum comes out of that Milwaukee series and they lose in game seven, you go, wow, did you see how he played? Did you see the big games? Did you see the big moments? Did you see the shots? And that kind of carries over through the next season. And then you might get a boost because of that series. And if you come out the next year and you get swept in the first round, then that goes in the tank. But if you come out the next year and you do well in the first round, then that sort of reinforces the thing that's been crystallized over the offseason. I mean, it's, I don't know, it feels very kind of, what have you done for me lately?
1: Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. And I think, okay, l- let's just talk about it, Ben. Let's talk about whether or not Tatum was, was quote-unquote bad in the finals. Because I think this is a, a popular conversation right now. And w- when you look at the numbers, like when you compare it to to all of the 2022 playoffs, the 21 playoffs, the 20 playoffs... During the finals, his BPM, his, his backpick BPM, was the lowest of any of those years. His points for 75, lowest in any of those years. His relative true shooting percentage was 8 percentage points worse than any of those years. His box creation was it only beats out the 2020. So when you look at the numbers, it looks like, yes, Tatum, by his own standards had a bad finals. Do you think that there's anything else from watching the series that makes you go against that and be like, actually, here's some good things that Tatum was doing that makes it not quite as maybe disastrous as the box score is showing?
0: Yeah, I, for one, I don't like playing, I I don't like falling into that trap of comparing players themselves because they each have a different standard so lebron was the king of this where like lebron would struggle and people would go lebron had a terrible series and then in parentheses in really tiny letters go for lebron (laughs) and you're like okay wait so are you implicitly saying that lebron didn't play like an all-time level player he had a terrible series by playing like an all nba player that was a terrible series so i I think we have to be careful with that self-player comparison i get a little nervous around that just objectively speaking, was Tatum terrible? Uh, I think that's a bit ridiculous, given the context, the importance of the team, um, You know, the fact that he's still scoring 20 points per game. Now, you might say, is a 20-point-per-game scorer with that kind of efficiency eating up more oxygen in the room and hurting the team? Maybe to some degree, but there are also keys... Uh, especially in the two wins around his playmaking and how important that was for the offense. It wasn't a great defensive series for him because again, I think the movement element of the golden state offense offense is not his strength, but he had some good defensive moments. I mean, the fact that he's like a six, eight switchable dude with some rim protection allowed them to play their small ball lineups. It allowed them to not worry about the Steph Curry conundrum, on him being pulled into screens. So what do the Warriors do? They pull a big man into the screen. They pull Horford. They attack Rob Williams, as we talked about. I think all those things matter in terms of being a good, productive player. Now, for the rest of the series, was he able to solve this defense? No. Uh, Was he able to score remotely effectively? Not really. And were turnovers a problem? Yeah. So I, I think when I look at all of that, it's a series that, like, if you had that player over the course of a season, even against curving for like a really strong defensive opponent. Would I think of that player as an all-star? I don't think so. I don't think it was that kind of series um, because there are players that are really good that have bad series that in my assessment guys are still, they're still all-star, like they're still really good basketball players. You're not going to find 25 or 30 players that would have played better in the series. But in this case with Tatum, I do think it was that level of subpar but i mean we're not talking about a guy that all of a sudden is like um a chucker on a 20 win team or something and i think that's what gets lost in the shuffle
1: yeah i think maybe before this it's you know it's i think earlier in the playoffs um we had a topic that maybe we were going to bring up at some point and i was probably going to come out with the declaration that Tatum might be the best uh wing defender in the in the nba And then after seeing the Heat series, then seeing how some of his skills were kind of nullified in the series. I think I was like the Homer Simpson uh, meme, like receding back back into the hedges. Yeah, I'm like, I'm going to hang on to this take for a little bit.
0: But but that's yet another example, Cody, of this concept, right? Where it's like against one or two opponents, you may look great. And then in different contexts against different opponents with different responsibilities, you see something completely different. And I, I just don't think I can say this enough. Because it feels like we live in such a polarized sort of basketball universe, the player is not the best thing that you see, and the player is also not the worst thing that you see. The player is literally some sort of amalgamation of those two things. That we are—that's what we're trying to figure out as analysts, not just pointing to the shiniest object and say,
1: like, ah, Tatum is the best. Tatum is the new Kawhi. I'm going to try and wrap together both teams here with this point. This this point about NBA math because I think about this a lot. Because we're talking a lot about Tatum. We're talking about how good he is either on offense or defense. And when you when you have all this data and you try and put it together, maybe you're going to try and put a numerical evaluation on how good Jason Tatum is. Like, How would his defense be on an average team? How would his offense be on an average team? Then you want to do that with each, with each other player. Maybe Steph Curry. Maybe Draymond Green. But as we just talked about with Tatum, depending on... Who they're playing, like Kevin Durant, his defense really stands out as being tremendous because that's the kind of guy that Tatum excels against. Stephen Curry, not the kind of guy his defense stands out against. So once again, that math doesn't stay. Like if he's a plus, I don't know, like a plus one, it's not going to be a plus one against those two players. And then when we go over to the Warriors side of it, right, we have Draymond Green, we have Stephen Curry. And I think, like, we have these two numbers, like Steph Curry being, like, a plus two, Draymond Green being, like, a plus one. When you add them together... I feel like their synergy together ends up being like a plus four or plus five because their skills yeah. their skills amplify each other. They synergize, right? So Draymond Green, he wants to play with somebody that's going to be spacing the floor and shooting. Draymond Green doesn't want to shoot. He wants to set other people up to shoot. And Steph Curry's a solid defender, but he's not going to be the defensive presence that Draymond Green is. So together, they're so much more than they are alone. So again, when we talk about these confounding variables of opponent, teammates and things like that how do you boil that all down and put together if at all possible put a numerical evaluation on a single player in a season
0: well i I mean we've talked about that before that's like looking at what we tend to see in plus minus data in long samples or adjusted plus minus data just understanding the ballpark of how the top players evaluate the game uh, or excuse me, impact the game and then evaluate based on that, comparing like, all right, this guy looks like he's in the 100th percentile here. This guy looks like he's in the 90th percentile. But that, that is also what makes it very hard to evaluate players that do it differently or are outliers who have completely different methods. Um, I want to go back to something you said there about the way Draymond Green plays. I think if there's a final point later in the series, but definitely in game six, and I think we saw it at other points in game five, game four, Golden State playing with pace. And both Curry, uh, a little bit with Jordan Poole when he's in there, and definitely Draymond Green, impacting the game by taking the ball off the rim and then pushing it down the floor and maintaining those cross matches. Cody, you know how much I love the cross match. And just the difference in watching teams, I feel it a lot when I'm scouting teams and you kind of can't jump ahead 10 seconds, if you will. You have to pay attention in that moment with the exchange from offense to defense because you're like whoa are they going to hit ahead for an open man is it going to be a pull-up three is green going to take this and go flying into the lane in three seconds and sometimes it's more subtle it's the cross match they force they force the defense to pick up players in transition green for instance grab and go drive it down the lane then there was a play uh it may have been game four. It may have been game six. I, my brain is seeing parquet floor, but I can't remember what color uniforms the Warriors were wearing because either black or blue. And, and Green gets the rebound, pushes it down the floor, gets to the foul line, gets stuck, and then waits a minute and then passes it to Curry, and Curry drills uh, a three. I want to say Derek White was involved in that play. But either way... um the concept is, if you, if you didn't notice, you'd just be like, oh, well, that was just a random play where Draymond dribbled down the floor and did nothing, and then the Warriors got a bucket. But instead, what happened was his dribbling down the floor dictated all of the matchups and forced some, like, I don't know, Rob Williams to go over in the corner and pick up Klay Thompson because he was worried about his shot. So then all of a sudden, six or seven seconds later in the shot clock, when the possession settled... Curry had a like isolation opportunity that he otherwise wouldn't have had stuff like that so that you know it's related to your synergy point but I thought playing with pace, and, and it's a subtle thing that someone like Draymond Green can do, and it fits with the way Curry wants to get out in transition, Clay Thompson excels in transition, all of that is part of this basketball math equation of like, one plus one never really equals two. Sometimes one plus one equals one, and sometimes one plus one equals five. And with Golden State and those two guys, that was the spirit of my final video of the season. It's like... You got a guy like that on defense and you got a guy like that on offense and they kind of try to work together and cover each other's weaknesses on the other end
1: where they're not the star. One plus one equals five. And I I, want to clarify this. Because I think, I especially heard this a lot in in conversations about Steve Nash back in the day, or even maybe James Harden playing for D'Antoni, where it's this idea that's like, oh, they're system players, they wouldn't have been as effective if they didn't have these players. Interesting that I have both of them playing for D'Antoni in this. But it's like, they wouldn't have been as good in any other system. But I think the point with these two guys, or anyone else for Synergy, is like, Synergy in itself is actually part of the skill here. Like, that's not trying to tear down what they do. It's actually showcasing that they have an ability to, because basketball is a team game, it's the ability to actually amplify your team and your teammates in a way that promotes both yourself and what your player your your teammates are going to be doing for the better of the team. So, I think that's the really important nugget of this, is I'm not saying this in a way to be like, well actually, Curry wouldn't be able to lead a team of league average guys better than player X, therefore he's not as good. It's actually like, well wait a second, maybe we should consider that as an asset as opposed to a deficit for curry and draymond yeah let's um let's circle back
0: to one more thing that you were asking about the finals um jason tatum we talked about his series right yep okay and then we had this idea of what happens if the guy's season ended with milwaukee yes another part of this cody is that you have to play the harder opponent at the end usually Right. Yep. So, so, you know, part of that context, part of that best situation, worst situation is like, maybe, maybe Tatum can't handle his, his offensive responsibility as the way the Celtics are constructed right now against any defense of that quality. Maybe it's that Tatum can't handle it against a defense. That's like golden States, which is different than a Milwaukee defense. You know, Milwaukee's defense is great, but it's size, it's strength, it's paint dominance, it's twin towers. The Warriors defense is horizontal. It's coordinated. It's speed. It's like a it's like if you shrunk Bill Russell a little and were like, hey, go go figure out a modern defense. That's what it feels like sometimes the way they fly around. Um so it it could be that it's one hard type of defense that befuddles him. It could be all hard types of defenses. It could be that you just put him in a slightly different situation where uh you know instead of Marcus Smart you have a slightly better shot creator at point guard these these are the things that make it tricky to ba- that you like should balance but that make it tricky to make an assessment I think at the end of the day and it goes back to the full circle to the thing about being punished by continuing to move on sometimes when you move on you play a much harder opponent and people for whatever reason um do the opposite of mental curving for that they seem to like double down on the, like that's what it feels like right they're like ah yeah. now i've seen the real i've seen the real you we won't mention that we don't get to see any other players in this situation against this team but i've seen you struggle with it so down down my list you go
1: yeah it feels like oh now he's been exposed since he's been in yeah. the situation It's yeah. like yeah he's been exposed to the best team in the nba since they won the finals
0: right yeah yeah no i think that's been consistent throughout recent basketball history with with uh, people, people kind of being, being punished for that, like, you got exposed thing. Um, and people have asked me about this before because, of course, when I evaluate individuals, I'm trying to disentangle their individual impact from the specific team they're on. And they say, well, if Anthony Davis keeps missing the playoffs, you never get a chance to see him exposed. And it's like, there is some truth to that. There is absolutely some truth to that. So I'm trying to look at how Anthony Davis plays against difficult defenses in the regular season – but we know there's no scheming we know there's no game but we know we're not going to get an adjustments equilibrium and that kind of thing so we kind of do need to see at least some playoff samples and then this goes back to like the greatest peak series why i wanted to do multiple seasons I you got to me three two three playoff series four playoff series sometimes is not enough give me give me eight ten twelve fifteen playoff series to kind of understand okay Tatum struggles not against all hard defenses but against this type of hard defense uh Curry went against a a elite defense that did nasty things to Kevin Durant and and made Giannis who's playing out of his mind um and I still think played out of his mind in that series like you look at his numbers we talked about it during the series and it's just like boy it's hard for that that I mean, that guy's one of the best scorers in the world, and it's hard for him to generate positive efficiency against this defense. They make it so difficult. They make it so difficult for your entire offensive system to hum and function. And then Steph Curry goes against him, and the comparison between that is night and day, and it's tempting to just go, aha, <laughs> You see, that proves it. But there's the there's going to be other defenses. There's going to be other series. And I think the totality of it is something that's really important if you actually want an accurate assessment of what's going to come.
1: Now, I think a, a great player to talk about in this case is is Jokic playing against the Warriors in the first round. Because if you look at his numbers, <laughs> boy, oh boy, Ben. He's, he's pretty good. <laughs> if you look at those numbers, it doesn't look like the Warriors slowed him down like at all. But then they also won in five games. And, you know, there's also an aspect of like, are they able to ramp up their defense as the playoffs go? Like, are you actually getting better and sharper as the playoffs go? So if they would have played Jokic in the finals, do they play a different defense or a sharper defense? Who knows? But again, that's another thing is Jokic plays a very different style of basketball versus Jason Tatum versus jobber ant versus etc. versus whoever else they might've played against. And so, yeah, you can look at those numbers and, you know, obviously I'm going to say Jokic is a better player than, than Jason Tatum, but you shouldn't look at that offensive series and be like this is Singular season is the reason. A season, sorry, series is the reason that I'm going to say that Jokic is definitively a better offensive player. If that makes sense,
0: I, I guess the last thing I'll say here, because uh, I think it applies to Jokic, is we have to remember to think about the totality of the result of the team and not just the offense or the defense. Because yes, for instance, we know the Milwaukee offense didn't hum against the Celtics, but they didn't have a lot of offensive pieces so they're they're putting out defensive players most of the time because those are their be- next best players right they could have they could have rolled it with jordan nuara occasionally and tried to see if they got some offensive pop but if that doesn't actually make the overall system better then what does that do? Well, if you're not careful, it, you could be on a podcast later on and be praised. You'd be like, look, Giannis had their offensive rating at 113. Look at what that says about his offense. But that's not the goal. The goal is the overall net point differential. And so sometimes you dial down the offense and ramp up the defense. For someone like Jokic, um, I do think it's really impressive what he did against that defense in Draymond Green. Incredibly impressive. I also think your point about the Warriors, like the Warriors were in control most of that series. It was not one of these super-duper close five-game series. And so as a result of that, they're not necessarily going to make adjustments or throw the kitchen sink at them. And Denver didn't have its personnel. So Denver could say, hey, our next best players, well, I don't know, the coach could say this. Maybe the general manager would have already done this. Their next best group of players would be defensive players. And then they say, Jokic, you carry the offense, make it respectable, like Giannis. Giannis got him like one hundred and six against the South. You get us one ten, and we're happy, and we'll give you defensive players. Or, and I think this was more in line with the construction of the Nuggets. They're like, Jokic, we're going to try to give you some. They're like second tier offensive players in terms of like they're not NBA stars, but we want to give you Austin Rivers can make a shot. You know, we'll, we'll throw out Monty Morris. We'll do whatever we can do to try to give you some tools to work with. And Jokic is like, hey, hey man, I don't need big horses. Uh, (laughs) I don't even understand this. Like, the man averaged 34 points per 75 possessions on plus 9% true shooting. But then again, to the overall point, um, they were like minus 14 per 100 when he was on the court. So the Warriors were never sweating it. And it doesn't matter what they do against Jokic. It matters what they do against the entire system, that's how you win at basketball.
1: And again, I think that's going to be interesting to go back because, again, th- when he was part of the discourse and during and after that series, I think a lot of it was like, don't tell me Jokic is the all-time player. Like, he couldn't handle playing defense against the Warriors. And then we saw the Warriors win the next couple of rounds and win the championship, and they, I don't want to say eviscerated, but as we just talked about, like, Ima Yodoka couldn't throw anything at the Warriors that they couldn't figure out. So that's like a literal, like, we've we've been talking about it, possible, like, retrospective all-time defensive team or at least like this century defensive team so then you, you have to go back through the rest of the playoffs and be like okay how bad was Jokic's defense relative to how bad every other defense looked against the Warriors when having this kind of conversation
0: right yeah the um the the Warriors had a 126 125.7 mm-hmm. offensive rating when Jokic was on the court Whew. In their first round, series, right, and and your your reaction is like holy moly, and it, it is a little holy cannoli moment. Tip at the clap <laughs> to Clay Thompson there, um, but when what about the Mavs? What was the Mavs defensive rating when Luka Doncic was on the court against this Warriors offense two rounds later? I, do you do you have the answer to that? I would. Like- it was it was
1: one twenty six. Oh wow.
0: Yeah, it was the same 126.
1: And that's so, another team that's built defensively around Luka. Like, their style is very much being like, you have a couple creators in Dinwiddie and Brunson. Everyone else, we have these lockdown or, like, flexible defensive guys that we can throw around Luka. So that's a strong defensive team that's throwing pretty much the same kinds of results as this Jokic-led team.
0: Yeah, and then, and then the last thing is uh, you could check Memphis. And I think, A, Memphis is a kind of better defensive team. They have more, they're more equipped to handle the Warriors' attack with their length and their athleticism and switching and Jaron Jackson. Um what was their defensive rating? So it wasn't 126, it was way down to one way down quote unquote to one fourteen <sighs> with Jaron Jackson on the court. And I haven't done it, but it's the kind of thing where when you have a weird game like that 50 point game where the Warriors just kind of packed it in. Um I wonder what it would be if you removed that. I wonder what it would be if you controlled for Steph Curry's minutes that kind of thing. The point is to say as Cody said, you want to account for all these things and in the moment you don't get it. So in the moment you go, well, Jokic must be some catastrophic outlying problem. And then a month later if you went back and updated, you would go, oh, it kind of kind of looks like <laughs> a lot of the kind of looks like a lot of the other teams. By the way, that nothing was better uh, or or more exemplified the concept of what have you done for me lately than the Warriors up 3-1 punting on that game where Memphis just kept going with its bench play, just, just had a party, you know, good for Memphis. Like great, great, great game to win at home by 50 points, 40 points, whatever it was. But then all the discourse after that immediately people were like, how can the Warriors ever win again? How could they, they just lost by 50 points. I'm so worried about them. Um, They're the second straight NBA champs, by the way, to trail by 49 or 50 points in a second round playoff series and go on to win the NBA championship. Wait, did the Bucs do that last year? The Bucks had a game against the Nets where they were down by 49 or 50 oh, wow. in that series. Yeah, I think they lost by 38 or something like that. I blocked that
1: out. That's, that's wild. So I have... now. It, it seems like what we're winding down, having a nice little retrospective on the year. This is good. This is relaxed. There are still two questions, Ben. There's two questions that I'll still... I don't think I'll ever have an answer to. Philosophers thousands of years from now will be asking these questions. Number two question on the season is how good is Miami really? I'm gonna be wondering that until the day I die. And number one, Ben, number one, while that we were talking about his team. Ben, what was going on with the Grizzlies and Ja Morant this year? Like, I think that 50 point blowout was the game that Jaw was out, wasn't it?
0: Well, uh, you cannot beat Memphis when they don't have Jaw. It, it's it's
1: impossible. It makes no sense, Ben. So those are my those are my two questions when I'm walking away. Those are my white whales this year, being like I didn't. I never had an answer for those. I never had an answer to those. Do you have? Do you have? Fi- I guess not final, because I'm sure we'll talk about the season. But do you have any final thoughts on the season, the 75th anniversary NBA season? Where you're like, you know what, this one got away from here. I'm still wondering about that.
0: Oh, I have no answers for the two questions that you just posed right now. Um, I might have a little, maybe just a touch more clarity on something to do with Miami, if their roster is similar in another season. Um, I mean, part of me still feels like I kind of had them pegged right around where I still think of them, but I I understand your ambivalence. And then jaw. I think we just need to see more with jaw. You know, it's uh, we, we need to continue to get more playoff data on this era around small defenders, leaking defenders, the Trey young defenders. Uh, How much does his defense hurt? How much is his, offense helping that type of team um I mean I think Memphis was actually pretty good I think Jaw helps them and there are teams in NBA history there are plenty of them we have really high impact players who are really good players and on particular teams they don't move the needle as much but they still help especially in a playoff context and that's kind of where I'm at with Jaw, but we'll see what happens you know next year hopefully can shed some more light on this great mystery. Um, otherwise it was a, it was a fun, it was a wild, it was at times a crazy 75th anniversary season. I mean, we kicked it off with, uh, what a two part, a two part episode on, um, the 75th anniversary ballot. Uh, and, and here we are with, you know, a team winning, I still can't get over that the core of the warriors has made six straight nba finals and has not lost a western conference playoff series since 2014 that is it for this episode uh if you want to support the show head on over to patreon.com thinkingbasketball thinking basketball we have additional content um I'm trying to think of what additional kind of we have a podcast episode that we might release fully in the summer on the uh finals mvps over the last 20 seasons. But there's additional stats, some of the data that we talked about today, uh, proprietary metrics that updated throughout the season, historical things, and a whole lot more. Patreon.com slash thinkingbasketball. That is it for this one. Thanks, as always, for your support throughout this season and listening all the way to the end. And wherever you are, I hope you're having a great day.